If you want to open your Bibles, you can turn to the very first chapter of the book of James. It's interesting because as part of my introduction to tonight's message, I'm going to talk about my first teaching experience at Lakeside, which was when I came here and candidated. That's just a teaser for tonight's sermon. Come back to evening church. But the first message I ever taught at Lakeside was the text we're looking at this morning. You can turn to James chapter 1. We're actually going to begin looking at verse 21. And really, the impetus behind this text is to deal with people like us, meaning people in churches who are hearing truth, and the ultimate question being answered is, what are we to do with the truth that we hear? And I think a text like this is particularly applicable in a country like America. I grew up in Perry, which is, as many of you know, I've said that before, it's just up 19, about four hours. And in describing my hometown, and this is something that came later in life, because I was in church every Sunday growing up. We just didn't miss church, no matter what. College football season started this weekend, which we love. We always had season tickets to Florida State games. If we were out till 1 or 2 in the morning, it didn't matter. Get up. We're going to church the next morning. So church was a part of my life. And I've described in hindsight my hometown this way. Everybody in my hometown is a Christian. There's just not that many believers, if you understand the distinction. And I'm not taking a jab necessarily at my hometown, although it inevitably is. That's more of an indictment of American Bible culture. You have people who identify themselves as Christians because they know they're not Hindu. They know they're not Muslim. And so they say, well, sure, I'm a Christian. Well, the book of James is dealing with the heart of where a believer should be. I'm going to read James chapter 1. In fact, one of the verses we're going to cover this morning is really the theme of the entire book. It's a scripture that I've referenced many times in, in various contexts, but it's still central to what we are to be about. James says this, beginning at verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, that man will be blessed in what he does. Really, this is just a blueprint for a successful Christian walk. This is a blueprint for how we receive God's blessings as his children by being obedient. It's how we become a good testimony. It's how we live lives where we can say, you know what, I'm doing the will of God. Now, I have this broken down into several points, and we're just going to go through this, but understand the impetus behind this. It was just struck with me again as I think about death. Because at death, you don't have any opportunity to do anything else. It's over. And yet, if God gives us another 40 years, with all my heart, I want to have a funeral like Bud Hughes had. I really do. Where people would say not that I had conquered the world or that I was the president or that I was a millionaire, but that somebody could say of me, he was just humble. He loved the Lord. 
I know that that wouldn't be said now in the way it was said about Bud, but that's our goal. Texts like this will help us get to that point. So let's dig in. And the first point is this. It's just going to be a four-point outline. It's steps to an obedient walk with Christ. But the first point is very simple, and I'll just phrase it this way. These are all two-word points, I think. Be prepared. When I say be prepared, what I'm dealing with in James is what J. Vernon McGee used to talk about where the rubber meets the road. He was one of the guys I listened to on the radio. I was actually very disappointed when I found out he was already dead. But as a new believer, I really liked J. Vernon McGee once I got past listening to his voice. It was so hard to listen to initially. But he used to always talk about where the rubber meets the road. That's what James is about. He's dealing with life and practice, and if you are anything like me, and I think many of us are, a lot of life we don't plan for. We just wing it. You wake up, what happens? We wing it. Now, I think about it, I contrast that with something like a vacation. Normally, you'd plan a vacation. You wouldn't wing that one. It would be embarrassing to plan out that you're going to do things, and then you can't do them because you didn't plan appropriately. Unfortunately, with life and the Christian walk, quite often we just take each day's obedience as sort of, hey, I'll just see what happens. I'll do my best, and if things come at me, I'll try and fend it off. What I think James is telling us, if we look into the context of what he's saying, is that we can prepare ourselves so that if our day turns out to be shocking and unexpected and we can't believe all these things that hit us, we'll be prepared to obey the Lord. The first thing he deals with is the residual sin that all of us continue to struggle with if we are alive. And so he says at verse 21 this, he says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. The first step of preparation of being prepared is to stop sinning. Now that is a, such a simple statement, it seems like you wouldn't spend any time having to talk about it, and yet if I were to ask you and you were honest, I guarantee you every one of us has sinned. Probably some of us have sinned this morning. Some of us sinned yesterday. Every day we fight against sin. But James is talking as he addresses believers, and I do believe this portion of this letter is addressed to believers. He's saying the first thing you do is get rid of all that contaminates you. The imagery of, would be peeling off dirty clothes and just throwing them aside. You don't want to be miserable in the muck. You want to be able to live and get rid of residual sin. And so quite often as you interact with people, if you've ever counseled people, if you've ever dealt with people, sometimes when people say, I just don't feel close to God. I'm struggling. I kind of feel lost right now. Okay. Are you fighting the battle against it? Well, I'm sinning a lot. Well, there's a correlation. So as believers, if we want to walk obediently, we need to deal with sin. Colossians used a similar imagery saying, but now, excuse me, Colossians 3.8, I'll just give you the reference. Colossians 3.8, but now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech for your mouth. It's the same idea of putting off sin, getting rid of it. Wickedness, it's a comprehensive term dealing with all the various types of sin. But the reality is, for most of us, the issue isn't big, bright letter sins. Certainly if someone's engaging in adultery, stop. Certainly if someone is stealing from your employer, stop. Quite often the things that contaminate us, though, are the little sins that we've come to peace with. 
the little daily disobedience that we think, you know what, in the scheme of things, this isn't so bad. You know what, I'm doing good, I've probably got an A on the test, maybe I've got an A minus because of these little sins, but I'll hold on to them. That will hinder your ability to obey God. If you have a kid, what is partial obedience? It's disobedience. It's the same rule for us as adults. If we're partially obeying God, that means we're disobeying God. So we want to be prepared by putting off the sin, the the filthiness, the wickedness that we continue to struggle against. But really, these are two sides of a coin. If you're going to be putting off sin, you need to be putting on the Word. He says this, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, just a comprehensive description of sin... After all that, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. In humility, the whole idea as believers is that we humbly recognize we don't know all there is to know. And so when God's word is presented, we want to go for it. We want to reach out for it. It's a contradiction to have a proud Christian, yet I think many of you would would identify with me. I struggle greatly against pride. I don't like to be told that I'm wrong. God gave me a very patient wife who it's hard for me to ever admit I'm wrong. Even when I'm clearly wrong, I'll come up with a reason why I'm not really wrong. That's the lawyer in me that's just going to continue on and on. But there's a humility that comes to receiving the Word of God, that comes to learning from God's Word, that acknowledges our dependence upon Him. God, at the moment of our salvation, changes our heart. You know that. Whereas the Word of God was foolishness before, we couldn't understand it because it's spiritually appraised. At the moment of our salvation, God changed our heart from the inside out, giving us a supernatural ability to understand His Word. The Spirit who inspired His Word is the same Spirit who indwells us and who wants us to be able to understand the will of God in our lives. All of this conveys an idea of being teachable, of understanding we need to learn. It's a frustrating thing if you're trying to teach someone who obviously doesn't know something, but they still intend to claim they know it. You're talking to somebody, you're giving them, oh, I know, I know. No, you don't. You just did it wrong. (laughs) No, you don't. Uh, There's an aspect of us, and I'm guilty of that, by the way. We've got to come to the Word with humility and have a teachableness that says, I want to learn. We're supposed to receive the word, but that's not a passive phraseology. Used of the Bereans in Acts 17, they're always the poster children for what should you do when you hear the teaching of the word. It says, these were no more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. That idea of reception, they were receiving it, It's the same type of exhortation James giving us here. And it's an act of reception. In other words, you have to go after it. I'm a big sports fan. That's no secret. One of the first connections Pastor Steve and I had was the fact that we both love baseball. If you've ever seen a foul ball go in the stands, people don't just sit in their seat and wait for it to come to them. What are they doing? They're climbing over each other. They're trying to get over the rail. They're trying to trample over other people to get it. That activeness, that going after it is the idea. That's what Christians should be doing for the Word of God. The reception isn't dependent upon, well, I'm here, and Steve, well, do your best. 
you know, I'm here. No, we should be going after it. The Bible should be open. We should be actively trying to figure out what's going on. If we're note takers taking notes, obviously our salvation comes by hearing the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. That's how we are initially saved, but it also is how we obtain the ultimate goal of our salvation. To live faithful lives, we have to continually receive the word. It's the word that's going to enable us to put off sin because it's going to identify sin in our lives, as we're going to talk about a little bit more in just a moment as James continues. But understand this. If you're sitting here and I were to ask you, how many of you want to obey Christ this week? I fully expect every hand would go up. First thing I'd say, then you'd better prepare today. Be prepared, preparing today for Thursday. Well, it's only Sunday, Joe. I, you know, tomorrow's got enough words of it on. It does. But you can put off the sin today so that it's not there on Tuesday and Wednesday. You can be receiving the word today so it'll equip you for Monday and Tuesday. So the first step is to be prepared. The second step of an obedient walk with Christ is to this. Be honest. Be honest. Now, this is not a point of me saying... Lying lips are an abomination of the Lord, so you need to make sure you speak truthfully, although, of course, that's an absolutely appropriate exhortation. What I'm looking at here is honesty with yourself. James says this in verse 22. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. The first book of the Bible I heard taught from chapter 1, verse 1 to the end was the book of James. As a new believer, Debbie and I, I think, were probably in our second year of marriage when I was actually saved, but I was eating up the Word of God. James has always had a special place in my heart. If the Sunday school teacher had taught a different book, probably that book would have a different place in my heart. But this verse has always captured my attention. It's always captured my attention because that's the exact opposite of much of what is current American Christianity. James is giving a specific exhortation and he's very direct. He's very much in a loving but confrontational way saying, look at yourself and find out whether you're a hypocrite. James is talking about the kind of people we are in our heart of hearts. Believers are expected to be those whose lives are characterized by a pattern of active living out of the commands of God. When God says do something, believers are expected to do it. When God says don't do something, believers are expected to refrain from that particular activity. That's our business as believers. Now, we aren't supposed to be anxious. We aren't supposed to be warriors. We aren't supposed to try and step into God's place. God is the sovereign ruler of the universe. He can take care of everything that comes our way. But we are to be people of action. James isn't saying hearing in any way is bad. Obviously, he's just said you've got to receive the word implanted. There's an aspect of that that requires us to hear the word of God. In fact, again, our salvation comes that way. What he's talking about... And the imagery here, which I, in looking back over my notes, I think I originally got this imagery from a MacArthur illustration. If it's a different commentator, I apologize for not giving accurate attestation, but I think it was MacArthur who pointed this idea out. There was, in that time and culture, there were people who were professional hearers. In other words, they would just go and listen to people. That's what they did. 
they would go, and if somebody was speaking, if you think about Paul when he went to the Areopagus, there were people sitting around listening. They were wanting to hear something new. There were people that their whole job, they might show up here. Okay, let's hear what Joe has to say. And then they might show up and hear what Steve has to say. At no time did they have any intention of following what was said. They were just professional hearers. They were just there to hear, and, oh, I like listening to this guy. I'll come back. That's American Christianity. That is what is permeating our society, is people who are professional hearers. They're not going to obey what God says. They just want to be occupied and entertained. James is making it clear, if you listen on a consistent basis and you hear the word of God, and on a consistent basis, meaning as the pattern of your life, you ignore what you hear, you have deluded yourself doesn't mean I've deceived you. It doesn't mean Pastor Steve has deceived you. It doesn't mean culture has deceived you. It means you've deluded yourself to have comfort, to have peace, to have hardened yourself to the point where you say, you know what, yeah, I'll take it or leave it. That can't be. We can never as believers measure our spiritual growth, our spiritual maturity based on who we listen to. Now, mind you, it matters who you listen to. Listen to good teachers. Listen to Pastor Steve as much as you can. Had the privilege of being at Grace Community Church for a number of years, I think about seven years. Listen to John MacArthur. He's a faithful teacher. I say this with all sincerity, and I've got more job security. I'm not trying to curry favor with Steve. I can tell you, having been in a bunch of churches over the last 20-plus years, I've said to people, my family didn't take a step back in teaching when we came here. So, by all means, listen, hear. But the ultimate point is do. If you want to be obedient, you have to not just be gathering notes, listening to things to be able to calculate how many times have I heard this, that, or the other. What you've got to be doing is saying, Lord, what's in it for me? Not in some kind of selfish, obsessed way, but in terms of, Lord, I'm here. In your sovereignty, I could have been any place on the globe. I'm here. I heard this word. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to change? How do you want me to live? How do you want me to pray differently? How do you want me to treat others in a different way? But it requires us to be honest with ourselves. Now, it's a very similar. I could have made this just one point and gone on it. I'll give a third point for an obedient walk. I'll say be alert. But really, it goes part and parcel with be honest. Because what I'm telling you to be alert for is the hypocrisy that can permeate our lives if we're not careful. Verse 23, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, it is immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. How do, how do I articulate this? Without saying like I'm being... Yeah, I can be a very vain person when it comes to my appearance. I spend more time than I should looking in the mirror. I really... In, I never had a crew cut in my life when Debbie was going through chemotherapy and I shaved my head. I actually liked it. It saved me a lot of time in the morning because I didn't have to look at where every hair is going. I didn't have to pull out the blow dryer and the, um, the, the brush and all of that. But when you start talking about a mirror, I can immediately identify. I shave most days, although I've never done it. I forgot to shave and I came to work this past week. I don't know what I was thinking. It was like, oh, wow, I didn't shave. 
But I can relate to looking in a mirror. And the imagery here is very easy to understand. Probably you've heard this teaching from others, perhaps uh, others more able to articulate this imagery than me. But really the summary here is that we look into the mirror and the reality is the mirror should be the Word of God. So, all that happens here is we look at ourselves in the mirror and we compare who we are with the Word of God. That's what we should be doing. Now, what does a deluded person do? Someone who's deluded themselves. Someone who hears the Word and then they ignore it. Well, that's the imagery of verse 23 and 24. And you picture it this way, because this is it's a very simple imagery, is I look in the mirror... And I see, for example, that I cut myself shaving and so I have blood running a streak across my face. What's the natural reaction if you see something like that? Take a little water and wipe it off. The imagery here is somebody looks in the mirror and they say, hey, I've got a big mark on my face. I need to clean that. Then they step out from in front of the mirror. And their minds have so deceived themselves that they immediately, it's not just that they are out of sight, out of mind, it's that they've completely forgotten that they've got something all over them. Such that they'll go out and they'll walk around and perhaps everybody else that sees them will kind of scratch their head and go, what? You know, but they've forgotten about it. This is talking about a hardening here. This is something that if we're not careful, you have deceived yourself, you've deluded yourself, and so when it says he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was, it's not saying he's got Alzheimer's or something. It literally is saying, I saw something that was wrong. The Word of God put this in front of me. It's inescapable. My life doesn't match up with the Word. So I'll just put the Word down. Now I'll go about my business because I forgot about it. Forget all about the change. I don't need to worry about it. The whole idea, the person has taken a good look. They understand there's a problem. But just that quickly, because they step away from the mirror, they step away from the word, they get themselves out of the environment to be pointed out where they fall short, and they don't worry about it. So if I could articulate this in a modern-day pattern, someone wakes up, and they could have a bunch of choices, but... Give them credit, they get up and they get ready and they go to church. And they come into church and they sit down and they hear Pastor Steve open the Word of God and he starts talking. And it's a very clear God's way to deal with this situation is to do certain. And the person goes, huh, I'm not doing that. That's not what I'm doing. And then before the sermon's barely gone, the person's thinking, what am I have for lunch? I wonder if the Bucks, have they got a blackout? Are they on TV today? Who's playing on Monday night? I've got to get the grat, and they've forgotten it. It's gone. That's what's being condemned. That's what we can't do. That's why we have to be alert to the hypocrisy that creeps into our own lives. Just as we've got to be honest with ourselves... We can't assume when we hear a text like this because today we're doing well that it has no applicability to us. I think a text like this has applicability to every believer at some point in their life. 
unless you get saved and immediately go to heaven, and that happens for some people, you probably at some point are going to struggle with hearing things and then forgetting it. Don't be that way. Be alert. The contrary is pointed out, and it's my last point. So we've got to be prepared, be honest, be alert. The final point is be active. Be active. I've already said this. I've already articulated it. But James points out the contrary or the appropriate example. Verse 25. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer but of an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Again, this is where we want to be. That would be a great something on a tombstone, although we don't do that anymore very much. He was an effectual doer of the word. She was an effectual doer of the word. I think the entire book of James is pointing towards that goal, but you step back and what you realize, the more you study the Bible, is that the Bible doesn't have, okay, here's the point of this book, here's the point of this point. It's all pointing the same way. Now, granted, there are different themes, but they're all pointing to Christ. They're all pointing to Christ's likeness. Every aspect of it is pointing you towards how do you become an obedient believer. You've been redeemed. You've been transformed by the gospel. Verse 25 is one of those simple statements that tells you here's what you do to become more mature. I spent a lot of time when I was younger thinking about the will of God. I used to think the will of God was more mysterious than it is. What I would tell you now is that the will of God is right here. How you apply it in any given situation, God will give you by His Spirit the wisdom to do it, but the will of God for us is revealed here. That's why the Bereans were commended, because somebody said something and they went to the Scriptures to see if it's so. That's how you should be, even here with Pastor Steve or here with me or with any of our other teachers. But if it is so then what you've heard is from the perfect law of liberty. In other words, the Word of God is what gives us the ability to have freedom from the continuing limitations of sin. The perfect law is all of God's commands given to us, all of the Scriptures, at this day and age, it's the Old and New Testament Bible that we have in front of us. And obviously, the picture here is the opposite. Someone looks in the mirror, meaning they see God's word, they see a problem, and the first thing they do is say, I'm going to fix this today. I'm going to deal with this now. Obviously, it can take time to overcome some sins. I was very encouraged as an early believer. There were some things that I could overcome very quickly. I had a very foul mouth. It's still hard for me to believe how I used to talk. For whatever reason, I was able to overcome that very quickly. Other sins I still struggle against after 20 plus years of being a believer. But the point is, for all of us, when God's word is opened up in our personal study time and the time that we've set aside to hear from the Lord, when we come and gather as a body of Christ, as we come and we hear the word taught, as we're going in our car and we hear a radio preacher who's preaching the truth, God sovereignly points out to us, hey, Joe, here's where you're falling short. The point is, change it. Fix it. 
We want to be doers of the word. That's where we have to go is to the word. One of the things I love about the Bible is you start understanding is how it all fits together. Prove yourselves doers of the word. Oh, receive the word. Hmm, there's a correlation. And then here, it's being a doer of hearing that law of liberty and applying it and changing where God wants you to change. Understand this. None of us is going to obtain perfection on the earth. What you never want to do is content yourself with habitual sin. And say, you know what? I know that the Bible says to be like Christ, and I gave it a good run. This is as close as I'm going to get. I'm going to stop. That's never an option for a believer. I don't know where you are in your walk. At any given moment, you may be closer to the Lord or farther away. Wherever you are, you can do better. I love what the Apostle Paul said from time to time to certain churches. In areas where they were doing wrong, the Apostle Paul laid into them of what you need to do differently. And when they were doing really well, he said, excel still more. Keep pressing. Keep doing. I'm going to close with an illustration from the memorial service. I'm curious, how many of you were, well, I won't ask you how many were at the memorial service. A lot was going on yesterday. That, that's not really relevant. And if all of you heard this, it's good to hear it again. That, that was my reason for asking, was just because of this. Debbie and I talked a lot about the memorial service yesterday. We talked uh, immediately afterwards. We went over to the Samanos and it was an interesting day. But various people gave testimony to Bud Hughes. And I can assure you that if Bud had been here, he would have said what I think is true. What they were really giving testimony to is the power of Christ in a redeemed life. That's what they were giving testimony to, whether they knew it or not. And I think everyone did. But there was a, a nephew, excuse me, a nephew of Steve, it's a, a grandson of Bud who wrote a beautiful poem. I was crying. It was such a beautiful poem about his grandfather and his life. Just picturing what it, the imagery might be in heaven. Ben gave up and gave some great words, uh, Ben Kreloff, of his grandfather. Steve read a, the, in essence, the comments of Michelle because she wouldn't have been able to get through them. Steve was able to read her thoughts on her dad. But it was interesting because what may have struck me the most was someone that I don't even know. I don't know if they're a believer or not. I couldn't tell from their announcement. But ultimately, it's getting to what do we want to be like when the time comes and we die, be it tomorrow morning or a month from now or 30 years from now. And here's what struck me. This woman got up and it's obvious she, she didn't go here. From her testimony, she wasn't a lifelong friend of Bud Hughes. She wasn't a family friend who had been around forever. She said, we were on the other side of the curtain in the nursing home. Her, I don't know if it was her mother, her father, someone, her father was in the room. She didn't know anything about Bud Hughes. Wouldn't have known him from Adam if she had bumped into him on the street. But what she saw in his final days was the living out of the love of Christ. Not just in Bud, but when Michelle came by. And Michelle would come by and read with her dad. And she would know that LaVon was there. And she told a 
touching story of how Bud would just hold the phone waiting for LaVon to call at night. The point, though, isn't that they had a great love for each other, which they did. The point was what people saw was the love of Christ. That came from a lifetime of prepared obedience. Of Bud taking the time to read the scriptures himself on a regular basis. Of Bud taking the time to pray. Of Bud taking the time to make sure that he was receiving good teaching. Of Bud taking the time to make sure that he was serving the God he loved. Here's my point. Our obedience is evangelistic, even perhaps on our way out of this world. There's a woman and a family, and it's interesting to me that she took the time to come to a memorial service just to talk about what an impact this man and his faithful daughter and his faithful wife had. Ultimately, the way we have that impact is by proving ourselves to be doers of the word. Let me close this with a time of prayer, and then there's a few minutes left. We can, you can just fellowship on your own, and, and we'll be done for today. Dear Heavenly Father, I am overwhelmed at times with the burdens of life. Lord, there are financial issues and there are practical issues. Lord, believers that we know and love wind up with cancer, go through hard treatments. Sometimes there is no treatment. Lord, as we were reminded yesterday by the passing of our brother Frank, sometimes you call your children home with no warning at all. Lord, it's easy, particularly coming out of a series of weeks or, or months where it seems like things happen over and over and over again, we can become overwhelmed. And yet, Lord, I thank you for the promise of your word that we needn't be overwhelmed. Lord, you've given us your spirit to indwell us. The Holy Spirit of God resides in us. Lord, you've given us your word to show us how we ought to walk in a dark, sin-filled world. Lord, help us be people of the word. Help us be doers of the word. Lord, we are mindful. We have great privileges here at this church. You've gifted Pastor Steve with an incredible ability to open your word and to convey truth. Lord, you've surrounded this church and the various Sunday school classes with teachers, with men who are capable of opening the word. Lord, the women's Bible study is getting ready to start. You've given Michelle and other women the ability to share truth in a compelling way. Lord, when we are inundated and surrounded and given every opportunity to know your word, help us be doers of it. Lord, let it not be said of us that we are the best hearers around, but that we're also hypocrites. Lord, we want to leave this earth with a testimony that we served you, that we did your word, 
that could be said of us, he was an effectual, she was an effectual doer of what God commanded. We ask all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.